With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Thanks for joining us for part two of a two-part series focused on interagency partners. This discussion was recorded during the 2021 Civil Affairs Roundtable. Speakers included Andrea Freeman of the National Security Council, Jason Ladner of the State Department's Bureau of Conflict and Stabilization Operations, Ciara Knudsen of USAID's Office of Civil Military Cooperation, and Pat Antonetti of the Office of the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Stability and Humanitarian Affairs. Ryan McCannell was moderator. Enjoy the show. How do we do the most we can to push down decision-making and empower folks at every echelon so that they are able to look at their partner across the table that they're working with and say, this is what I bring and let's have a conversation as partners as opposed to, oh, I'm, you know, I'm riding in your vehicle, thanks for that. Um, but how do we really empower to have true partnerships at these levels as quick fixes? And then how do we push for more structural change so that we can have those lash-ups uh, in more effective ways? We've got a couple of different questions that are kind of touching on resources, but it connects with something that uh, uh, Major General Wesley also said uh, in his remarks, which is if we think about, and this I think is specific to the sort of China strategic competition piece, but maybe um, is worth thinking about more broadly, particularly as we're coming out of sort of an America first um, kind of uh, go to loan uh, type of approach which it has to do with the incentives that we're creating for partner nations to work with the United States uh, as opposed to other, um, you know, in, co in competition with other uh, major strategic powers. And a couple of aspects of that that were sort of asked um, specifically in the, in the questions is to, to maybe drill down a little bit more on what the new administration's policy is toward development resources, because we talk a lot about needing to invest uh, in these places, and yet um, typically uh, we see those resources be constrained. And so uh, perhaps CR, uh, well, any of you could probably uh, talk about that. And then, and then sort of connected with that, the power of the private sector, and to what extent are we reaching out as a government to, you know, private sector partners, particularly given the sophistication of um, some of the challenges that face us, face us. So not just investment, but rather you know, how are we uh, drawing uh, with respect to, for example, the information, you know, operations, information element of power, uh, drawing on this, the, the force of uh, U.S.-based uh, private sector actors as we sort of approach these kinds of issues. So I, I guess at this point, I just ask one of you to raise your hand because that's probably a more straightforward way to do it. If you have any, uh, any reactions to those questions. So one of the things that's happened under this administration uh, with the creation of the directorate that I'm working in, again, is the re-elevation of development um, as a key structure and, and modality and vehicle for um, the implementation of our foreign policy. Um, the word development disappeared 
from the, the NSC structures um, in the last four years. And so it's been re, reconstructed now in a little bit different way than it had been in the past during the Obama years where it was embedded with the, with the democracy team in particular. Uh, democracy has now been separated out and it uh, has its own uh, structure as well because of the primacy of that um, element as well. Um, so I will start there just by saying in terms of the, the importance that this administration sees um, in the role of development and promoting our interests abroad as well. And I think we'll see that roll out as the various budgetary conversations happen. And, and I think colleagues here in the interagency could probably talk a little bit more detail in terms of how that's played out for them. Over. Thanks, Andrea. And it's it's worth mentioning that, you know, Samantha Power, former uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, uh, has been nominated as our uh, new administrator at USAID. And we are <laughs> and get, being given a seat on the National Security Council, which is quite a shot in the arm for our little uh, agency. And we're both excited and terrified about what that's going to mean for us. So good point. Hey, Ryan, uh, I'll comment on that just a little bit, if I may. Sure. In, in the last administration, there was a big push by the Development Finance Corporation, interestingly, who engaged with our deputy secretary on trying to align investments that they were looking at from their $60 billion investment fund and aligning them with national security objectives a little bit more broadly. So this effort to sort of link in national security strategy with, in this case, uh, some, some defense flavor. And, and all this was managed, interestingly, by our USAID, LNO, and our office uh, stitching together all the various uh, bits and pieces of it. Um, but th that was a good precedent that I'm, I'm sure will continue with the Biden administration. But And, and so investments in places like Colombia and Mongolia and potentially Ukraine, uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, our combatant commands provided input and feedback for potential projects, uh, Sri Lanka, India, for DFC to consider. So a pretty healthy Greenland was another uh, interesting uh, example. So uh, that's a good precedent that I'm hopeful will we'll continue, and I'm sure it will, uh, but stitching together all the all components of development with embassies, with GCCs. Oh. Yeah, just following up on what uh, Pat is saying, I mean, this is exactly the reason why we have development advisors at the GCCs. Um, is because not just because we want to lash up only what USAID is doing, but because we want the entire development infrastructure, the thinking and expertise and thought process uh, as well integrated with DOD's work as possible. And there's certainly more we can do to continue to lash in those uh, other agencies and, and entities. But I do think uh, that's that's very much why they're there and, and what we're, we're trying to get them to engage on. The key, I think, as we can, that continues to proliferate and we continue to try to um, bring a broad range of actors and resources together because U.S. resources are finite, the, the planning aspect and the coordination aspect just becomes so much more important. Um, and uh, so we can't really push for, for enough joint planning in that space. Um, uh, just quickly, though, on the, on the partners issue, Ryan, because I think this is a place where DOD is, has, has really taken some amazing strides in, in building coalitions and taking coalition approaches to problem sets uh, over the last several years. Um, obviously, Global Coalition, uh, where, where I've come from, is, uh, is a great example of that, but there's several others. And I think even more importantly, have DOD's um, and civil affairs and SOF and others have, have spent a lot of time trying to make sure they can share information between those partners. 
Um, and that's that's been a really Im important development. And I think we're often shamed on the civilian side that we uh, we are not working in uh, in that coalition framework in the same way. Um, and so I do think as we move into some of these new spaces in competition, gray zones, uh, information operations, cyber, um, they are hard places to share information with all, with the range of coalition partners. And it's really going to be uh, incumbent on all of us to figure out how we do that in the civilian space and how we do it um, across uh, the 3Ds and with the military. Over. And Ryan, let me just add a quick note. I think this is this is to Wayne's question. He targeted it at the at the GCCs, but I think um, from that, looking at the private sector role, and and hopefully the whole audience, uh, this will be obvious to them. But just making sure that SIMC lash up with the econ section uh, down at post with the embassy. I mean, I'm sure there are certain partners, but to make sure as we're looking at a greater role for private sector, that when y'all go to meet with the country team, um, that, that, that the econ counselor and her, his team is, is a point of contact to think about the, the landscape because they'll have working with their USAID colleagues at a mission, they'll have a really good picture of that over. Hey, yeah. Jason, if I may add Pat here, uh, that's a really good point. I wanted to mention the important work and great work with the SIMC SIMCs do, and I and they come back uh, pre-COVID and would often brief on their projects and their experience while while deployed across the GCCs. And one of the questions I always kind of wonder about is how are they missioned? Who's giving them their assignment? Where are they going? Why? Which country? And so that what you just mentioned about making sure they're getting instruction uh, from everybody uh, to get to the right place at the right time for for the. Uh, Chief of mission it ultimately is really important. Thanks for flagging that. Yeah, and maybe to stay in that stay in that warm rabbit hole. Just you know, another example. We've we've got a, a stabilization advisor out in Abu Dhabi, and the relationship with the SIMC team out there is is amazing. And and it's not just it's not just about transactional. It's about sharing real partnerships and relations, and really really talking to our partners. Um, from the different angles, but with this, uh, a shared message, right? We're on point, we all have the same message and we're touching our partner societies from different ways. And so the lash up uh, in Abu Dhabi with the SIMC team is, is great from that perspective. And then from a more operational perspective, um, some stuff going on in Niger with respect, with, with respect to some of the air support that, that is, is super valuable. Um, and so um, Rara SIMC teams and Rara just looking at the opportunities for partnership um, with a very broad aperture over. Yeah, actually, I was gonna. I, I'm glad you're enjoying this rabbit hole because that's the one that's the most relevant uh, for this community, right? Civil affairs, and so just thinking um, to, to sort of maybe go back to something that um, one of you said before about um, connecting across echelons, different echelons. I'd love to hear one of the things that in my association with civil affairs, um, you know, as a member of the association when I was teaching at the War College and others. Um, it, there's always a, a question of how much influence uh, civil affairs is able to bring to the table for commanders, for policymakers, for others. If it, I would, I would appreciate, and I'm sure uh, others in the audience would appreciate, just some reflection on, you know, where you where you feel that influence, particularly. So you've given some really good examples, kind of on the ground, sort of at the tactical and operational level. Um, and and particularly maybe for, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Pat, but. Just thinking about those changes that you described within the um, Shah and others, like how is that plan? Like to what extent does that provide opportunities for civil affairs? Does it close off certain doors or create some vulnerabilities for the civil affairs community? 
uh, given that they speak this language, you know, and I'd love to hear from the others as well. Um, you know, uh, Ciara, I know, has uh, at least one civil affairs officer that reports to her. And so just, just to sort of um, give our, our colleagues on the line a little bit of a flavor about how that plays out sort of in the NCR, over. Sure. Um, when we were talking about the SIMC teams and what the 95th and general purpose forces are able to do, the 83rd and, and use of KPOC on the ground day to day, I would I would argue that, you know, at the tactical and operational level, we're, we're really effective, really good. And there's uh, even ways to get get better at the strategic level, though. And when you have these conversations with key leaders that are contemplating policy decisions or looking at making sure that uh, uh, you know the right language is in an exhort. Uh, Colonel Jeff Abramowitz is on our call today, and he was in our office when we were looking at what was going on in Northeast Syria. And he made sure that in the exhort that guided CJTFOIR was the, the, the right language to ensure that uh, we could get the, the, the proper stabilization civil affairs work that was being done, but even being done better. So having that kind of experience and expertise when conversations are happening, particularly in fluid dynamic moments is really critical. And that's why it's so important that uh, a separate effort needs to be had to make sure that we have the right civil affairs uh, representation in OST policy and on the joint staff and the J5. When you don't have that, you, you'll, you'll be able to have some of the flavor, but having a Lieutenant Colonel Todd Bostovka in our office at the moment from the SOCOM joint proponent uh, in, in Tampa and what he's able to do, you just stitching and convening together all the TCAPs from the GCCs and inviting others uh, from the 3D community into those conversations is hugely critical and important. Great, thank you. Ciara or others, do you have anything to add? As, as Ryan noted, we have uh, we have several active civil affairs um, members of our team um, and several former either special operators, uh, civil affairs um, or related uh, folks. And, um, I, you know, it's it's such a great lash up with USAID. Um, and I think it's worked incredibly well. I would pose, um, I think as we look at the competition space, and I know that the civil affairs community and, and DOD writ large has been really trying to figure out what to do in sort of gray zone and, and competition spaces. Um, I think our muscles are really strong for civil affairs collaboration in CENTCOM, AOR, AFRICOM, AOR, um, SOUTHCOM, AOR. I would, I would flag that I, I'm not sure, and I would love to hear differently um, how well um, we are as as conceptually fully lashed on what is possible in, in the UCOM spaces and in the PACOM spaces. And I think um, those are our Indo-PACOM spaces, sorry. And, and I think that's gonna be a really interesting conversation going forward um, is, is how we take the lessons of, of, the, of the collaboration from uh, the countries we've come to know of extremely well um, and bring them into uh, the European and the Pacific uh, realm. Maybe just add a, a slight bit from this from the state perspective. Um, you know, there, there's a very strong uh, SOST team at uh, at Department of State, and they facilitate CA units coming through and receiving briefings before they go out and giving briefings when they come back. And so I would just I would just footstomp that that type of communication two way needs to be emphasized and being built into pe people's day jobs. It shouldn't be seen as a nice to have. It should be, it should be key. And the more that we're reading each other's 
materials, whether it be getting access to, to cables from the diplomatic side and, and other documents, more we can be learning what each other cares about and how to have a conversation that gets beyond cliches so that you can utilize that hour when you're in the room in, in DC at HST, um, that that's the goodness right there. And so I just think, you know, if you need someone to advocate for the for, for more of that type of contact, um, you know, let us know over. Um, uh, Chris uh, Holshek asked a question here that's sort of built on the last, which would be um, asking about what recommendations you might have on civil military sort of coordination capacity um, at the country team and operational levels. I mean, we're, we're all aware of, uh, go ahead, Chris, if you want to elaborate on the question. Ryan, thanks very much. Hey, guys, this has been a great, great discussion. And, and as always, we value highly the interaction we have with our partners, you know, from AID and state, um, because we, we don't do enough uh, to work with you guys. And and so my question is, is kind of looking at you know, picking up on on what uh, Ryan was saying in some of the earlier conversation, what would be your summary recommendations on institutional civil military capacity improvements to generate better civil military cooperation and coordination at the country team and operational level? And and what I mean specifically is, um, it could be, for example, I'm just you know putting this out as a for example, liaisons and representatives are really very helpful. In kind of the old world where, you know, we actually had to have warm bodies in places all the time, um, this was really difficult because people give people up, you know, and even, even in DOD, I know that's shocking to you people <laughs> at AID and state, even in DOD, this can be difficult. But, you know, you've got something like the CMCC, you know, CR's outfit. Um, and, you know, so would we look at liaisons, for example, from the KCOMs? So that you could look uh, at regional issues, and and you know thinking outside the box of the very sort of uh, the very sort of uh, technology we're we're leveraging right now, that doesn't have to necessarily mean that the liaison uh, or even the representative is actually uh, sitting at OTI or sitting at CSO in state, but we've identified people who can who can improve the granularity and specificity. Of the interaction, you know, at that operational KCOM type level. If we can just even identify those people and then you know who to call. So I just wanted us to kind of do a little brainstorming and think outside the box and maybe identify some real takeaways uh, on how we can do things that are not only um, good, fast, but maybe even cheap. We'll take a short break. When we come back, We'll pick up the conversation moderated by Ryan McCannell with our guest speakers, Andrea Freeman, Jason Ladnier, Ciara Knudsen, and Pat Antonetti. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. 
and our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. The world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the Global War on Terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com. LC38Brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Thank you. And, you know, we have made some progress in this. Um, Ciara mentioned in passing the mission civil military coordinators, which I will let her uh, elaborate on if she wishes. And I, I do have a lot of thoughts about this because this this is one of the things that we, uh, those of us who are fans of civil affairs, uh, are thinking about all the time. So happy to open it up to any of the panelists if they would like to try to um, uh, respond to that question. I do have a couple of thoughts of my own I could add, but. Pat, why don't you go first? Thanks. Sorry about that. I'm not doing a yeah, very yeah, good no, job. No, uh, Chris, we we have talked about this um, because there is a lot of capability at UCK Park at the 95th. And I'm, I'm just talking you know, really narrowly about um, civil affairs within DOD and how do you get some of that expertise and those issues um, communicated back up through OSD, particularly if we're losing some people. So there's there's some ways. And now... How, how we've worked over this past year remotely uh, in particular, that we can um, affect that. So it's not necessarily always having someone in an office, although that's that's really important too, but there are some mitigating ways that we can draw on getting the right people into conversations. Uh, like I said, we already have a lot of really good architecture at the GCCs across the interagency with the SOS network and others. And I'm sure there's ways we can leverage and, and even build on that as well. So I'll just stop there. Over. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's a great question, and and we are certainly looking at how to use all of um, this virtual experience we've now built. Um, agree that the SOS network is amazing. I've uh, I've been a huge fan for many many years, um, and I, I don't want to take away from because uh, civil affairs it needs to. Uh, I have two, at least two billets that I'm considering right now to physically send me somebody. So I, I don't want to take away from that because we definitely want those people. But I do think there's a lot that can be done virtually. And there, um, I took part in a special operations training uh, virtually. Uh, and I think, you know, I was blown away by what the training potentials are uh, for co-training in a in a virtual environment that we, I don't think we've played through as much, uh, even on the classified side. 
and it's just a way really to to keep a lot of this going when we can't um when the the constraints to to being physically uh deployed together or the or um being physically co-located are high they spent the last couple of years running the northeast action plan group for um northeast syria which which was a multi-level coordination group that looked a lot at detentions and alcohol issues and um we had just an incredible community interest across that went at every single level, whether it was the most tactical level down at, in, in Northeast Syria to Sujetif to CJTF up to CENTCOM, uh, multiple layers of embassies and Washington. And it was, uh, to me, a really amazing conversation every week to make sure we were all cited on a problem that had very, very high visibility across the system. I, I do think those communities of interest are incredibly important and we need to uh, they're, they're high investment, so we need to think hard on what issues we want that kind of conversation to take place. Um, but I do think, particularly for civil affairs, thinking about impacting policy at the D.C. level, thinking about impacting country resources uh, happens also at the D.C. level, and then working at missions or working at uh, field uh, teams that don't have missions. The more we think about how we lash up each of these pieces in conversations um, with the folks who are making decisions on resources and people and policy uh, is really, really powerful. And uh, it works differently for DOD and aid and state. And so uh, I think the more we can design those kinds of conversations, the more effective we'll be. Thank you. Jason? Thanks, Ryan. So Chris, thanks for the question, a great question. And, and let me do a little a little diagnosis, problem diagnosis, um, at least from my vantage before we start on the recommendations. And um, for me, the, the problem is has been is always most clarified by by an anecdote. And, and I know we don't have PRTs anymore, but I remember in Afghanistan, I can't count how many times a PRT conversation between a PRT commander, a state rep, and an AIDS rep. And the PRT commander turned and said, "Okay, what tools do you have? What do you bring into the fight? Or what you know? What's your capability?" And oftentimes the civilians said, well, uh, we didn't make the decision about money. It was made either at Coabo or back in D.C. And so then you have a situation that's set up for failure because we're not pushing down the capabilities and decision making to the right level. And, and that's a, the one PRT antidote. But I would offer that more often than not, when we have conversations, we are not all empowered across the three D's with the capabilities to make the decisions together. That is a structural issue that we then have to problem solve around and figure out ways to. There are there are great civilians at all the COCOMs, but they are often not empowered to make the decision for a country or for a subregion. So the question is, then what do we do? So I think the problem solving, uh, until we get a, a no kidding, relook at our national security architecture, the problem solving has to be around how do we do the most we can to push down decision making and empower folks at every echelon so that they are able to look at their partner across the table that they're working with and say, this is what I bring. And let's have a conversation as partners, as opposed to, oh, I'm, you know, I'm riding in your vehicle. Thanks for that. Um, but how do we really empower to have true partnerships at these levels as quick fixes? And then how do we push for more structural change so that we can have those lash ups uh, in more effective ways over? Ryan, can I two finger that? Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Because um, I, I agree completely with with Jason for field operations, and I think that was the focus of, of Chris's question. But um, I would put some pressure on DOD as well, um, because the civilians do make decisions um, at multiple levels all the time. I used to say when I worked for, for Brett McGurk and Jim Jeffrey, 
They were strategic, operational, and tactical every single moment of the day. And there was nothing that was that was happening tactically or operationally that they didn't want to know. And they were calling shots from Washington many, many times a day. And that puts the DOD system into a spin, obviously. And the challenge there is to find what, what respects command and control and C2 and the hierarchy of the DOD while making sure that civil affairs and, and special operations expertise from the ground is making its way into the conversations for some of those decision makers who are working on very fast timelines. And so I think you know, a, a little of this is, is not just pushing down decision making to the field, but also determining for each circumstance where that has to happen and, uh, and designing the system um, that allows for a little bit more flex on the DOD side too, to get some of that important expertise into the conversation directly. Yeah, thank you. And I would just put it in the context also, just as a comment um, that uh, this I think is part of the reason that USAID has decided to create this new, much sort of smaller, leaner and meaner Conflict Prevention Stabilization Bureau, which is still, you know, it's still a work in progress. Um, Ciara and I are sort of uh, sibling office directors, uh, and the other one that most people will have uh, heard of is the Office of Transition Initiatives, OTI, which is a specialized capability that USAID has to support political transitions. There are three very different organizations. Mine is more um, sort of intellectual and thinking about sort of how our missions, which is to say our offices abroad that do long-term development can also wrap their arms around issues of conflict and violence so that they're not just the weather, you know, something going on in the operational environment that we, we don't have any, um, ability um, or understanding that we have agency to affect. Mm -hmm. And so um, part of the reason I think for this, and Ciara and I have been having these conversations literally like today and yesterday and the day before, is how do we make uh, those, the feedback loop between, hey, we're being asked out in the field, you know, there's an opportunity here for us to do something in sort of 3D context where if we knew that we had resources to bring to the table, you know, then that we might be able to actually kind of leverage those. And um, it is, uh, I think it's an, it's our aspiration. And again, we, we think that that's consistent with what President Biden uh, and uh, his administration are uh, trying to sort of um, coax us to do. This Global Fragility Act that we made uh, reference to earlier, you know, also, at least in theory, is about trying to break down some of those kind of stovepipes and, and allow for um, quicker action, particularly when we think that an ounce of prevention can lead, you know, can can obviate the need for, you know, boots on the ground or like a expensive kind of downstream uh, intervention later. So we're really trying to take the best we can do as a bunch of bureaucrats is take that stuff at face value and try to uh, model those best practices based on um, you know, a ton of, of good experience that we've had working alongside our colleagues in civil affairs. The other thing I just want to say really quickly is that we're also infiltrated at USAID with a lot of really good civil affairs uh, officers, not just those who are liaisons, but I, right next to me on my Zoom, there's Diana Parzik, who is a civil affairs reservist. Uh, Todd Goler, who works for me, is a, a former um, uh, civil affairs uh, colonel and others. And so um, we're doing our best to uh, get out of the way and allow them to educate us uh, about the work that they, you know, the, the significant skills that they have as they are now part of our bureaucracy. And we're not a very large uh, bureaucracy. So, okay, suddenly everyone decided in the last 10 minutes of the thing to just start throwing out great questions. So here we go. Uh, the Southcom AOR, the biggest successes uh, have been 
where embassies and missions include CA in their planning and discussions. And planning goes both ways. We're always, you know, knocking at the door to try to get in on, uh, you know, the theater campaign plans or whatever, as Jason said. But there's a, the obverse to that, which is uh, integrated country strategies uh, and uh, CDCSs, which is the country development cooperation strategies that USAID does that are nested within the ICS. And so what can we do, uh, you know, to, to, to better tap into our civil affairs colleagues uh, on the ground? So I'm teeing this one up for Ciara because I'm sure she's got the an answer. If you don't, I, 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 which is the MC2s, like, do you want to talk about them for a second? Okay. Sure. Um, if not, on the USAID side, and Jason can touch on the, um, on the state side, um, we have uh, in the last year put to, uh, together these signal coordinator um, focal points at all the missions. And this is a really awesome group of people. I've, I've had a couple of interactions with them. Several of them are now coming in to be representatives at the uh, combatant commands um, or in the J-5 at the Pentagon. And um, they do this above and beyond their existing portfolio. So it's not a full-time gig. We're working towards, you know, maybe we'll get there someday. But they're incredibly motivated to collaborate with uh, with DoD on the ground, they're constantly looking for either um, projects or planning or uh, or coordination um, opportunities. And so for folks who are in the AOR, what we should definitely do with civil affairs units deploying, and I think we do this uh, when the ones that we're training with already, is to make sure that they have um, all the key contacts they need to, um, when they hit the ground. And we need better guidance out to those folks to make sure that when the ICSs and CDCSs are moving through their process and just in general consultations that they are, are reaching out to those people. But this is, a, I think it's about a year old or less, this program, uh, Ryan. So we're really interested to see what we can do with it. Go ahead, Jason. Thanks. So it's important to note that culturally, diplomats do not necessarily prioritize this type of planning. Now, things are changing. We are in a dynamic moment, but I can think of a few years ago where uh, an ambassador told me that if his team, he told his team if they ever won the award for the best, what was the name of the ICS at the time, they would all be fired because he did not want to win that. So, but things are changing and particularly with the importance of things like the GFA, where we're really having to show to Congress and the American people, what are our theories of change, show our math, what are we, what are we achieving? Things like the ISS are getting more attention from senior leadership. But I think just the first point, Steve, be prepared for a little bit of a cultural shift when you say, why aren't we talking about the ICS at country team every every week? What's going on? It could be the person tasked with that could be hidden somewhere in the system. And so part of it is, is however y'all feed into the country team, have that be have that be the question of, What's our timeline for the ICS? Our understanding is that um, state leadership is going to be asking embassies to kind of relook at their ICSs in the coming year, year and a half. And so there is a window of time. So it's, so if your entry point into the country team uh, doesn't have it on her or his radar to kind of put the marker down that, that you want to be helpful on that, um, make sure that's the first step. More often than not, Folks at the embassy will be super excited for extra set of hands to get these products done, especially folks who are familiar with planning. So they'll welcome your help. Uh, so I think that you're pushing an open door. But I think sometimes just speaking, and again, this is this is a cultural gen genericism, um, but you may have to look a little bit to see where it's it's hidden. It's hidden. Um, on the other hand, I've seen some ambassadors that just really take pride 
in the ambassadors, the chief of mission statement up front and is telling this story. So, um, so I think we're, I think we're moving in the right direction um, on understanding how powerful these documents can be over. Thanks guys. I would also just quickly say, one of the other challenges is that uh, is the rotation of CA teams and the fact that these, these documents, at least for USAID, like in CDCS, it's a five-year strategy for us, first of all. So that's one thing to just wrap your head around. But the, but because of that, it take it can take like 12 to 18 months. How many, that's like, you know, if it just happens to fall right on, you know, the, the deployment and redeployment schedule, that you're talking at least three, you know, CA teams generally that would be coming and going during the life cycle of CDCS development. So to be careful what you wish for a little bit, um, but I think that there is definitely, we're, tr we're trying to, we, we are trying to put our money where our mouth is in terms of um, coordination, uh, as, as Sierra mentioned. The other thing to just sort of keep in mind is that, um, you know, the, the Trump administration um, tried to put its stamp on our CDCSs through what was at the time called the Journey to Self-Reliance, which were was the, was the way that USAID was sort of uh, categorizing the work that we were doing in developing countries. And uh, all of the CDCSs were sort of refreshed during the before the end of the previous administration. I would say that it's it's an open question as to whether or not there will be a revision of those CDCSs uh, as a result of uh, the new administrator coming in and, and what that will look like and how, whether it will be just sort of a quick, you know, uh, sort of update or if it will be a full scale, you know, CDCS kind of uh, soup to nuts review. I'm kind of hoping that it will be the former because our missions have just been in this planning mode, you know, pretty much uh, continuously for the last couple of years. I kind of want to um, just ask if any of the members of the panel have any final words or, or thoughts um, before we sign off. So I'm going to I'm going to go in the in the same order that we started with. Andrea, if you have any final final things to say. Uh, no, no parting thoughts other than to say thanks so much. Um, I really actually enjoyed hearing sort of more of the operational side of some of these discussions. Um, we'll be working really closely with my my interagency colleagues on making this actually a real outcome for all of us over the course of the next year, two years, three years, four years. Um, but I think there is a genuine desire here to, to have a more fruitful collaboration across the board with all the agencies and and that starts with, unfortunately, a lot of meetings. Over. <laughs> right, you got your work cut out for you, that's for sure. Um, Jason. Thanks so much, Ryan. Again, thanks. Uh, it's been an honor to be uh, talking to this group and with this group. My parting thought would be, please do not see yourselves as, as the GFA or SAR as something being done to you. You are part of GFA and SAR being more than just uh, a reform effort that uh, one of the many reform efforts that hit the dustbin of history, right? This is reform is hard. Doing our work better is hard. And you can either be in the side that kind of says, oh, wow, that never happened or I haven't seen it in my neck of the woods. Or you can be the part of the like, yeah, that's a good idea. And it's going to help us be more effective as a country. I'm going to going to pitch in. And so I would just just urge you to, to look around you and say, what can I do to help to, to operationalize and to bring to bear what is a sense the learning that we've all done in these hard, challenging places over the last 30 years? Thanks so much. Thanks, Jason. CR? Great. Thanks, Ryan. And uh, thanks to everybody for uh, coming together today. I know you have a, a lot on the agenda and it looks really exciting. 
Uh, I look forward to working with many of you um, from CMC going forward. Um, I think my my parting uh, shot would be a, a bit of a, a mission to the civil affairs community. Um, I think we're in a moment of a lot of change and uh, change in what the U.S. wants to focus on, change in how we're working with partners, and change in what's happening around the globe. And I think civil affairs within the DOD realm is um, one of the great resources in networking and understanding strategic shifts on the ground. Uh, you're first talking with partners, you're first seeing uh, impact of a whole range of different issues. And uh, you know, the civil affairs teams we worked with in Syria and Iraq saw strategic competition right up front in all its ugly, uh, ugly glory um, for several, the last several years. And it's important for, for you all, it's important for us at USAID and state and in this community of folks who, who sit in the conflict, fragility, counterterrorism, uh, competition nexus, to make sure that these are not either ors. Each of the places that we are working and that Andrea and Jason have focused on are some of the most complex in the world. Um, every single one of these issues that we've talked about, the four to six Cs, are happening there. And I, I think it, we, we all have to tell a story, and you all, particularly within DOD, that this is not a choice between the, what seem to be very different priorities. It is about understanding strategic competition, conflict, counterterrorism, fragility, and uh, and climate dynamics in the areas that the U.S. cares the most about. And uh, I think civil affairs has an incredible role to play in that. And I think if the more we can keep these from being zero-sum conversations, the stronger we will be as a community. Over. Thank you, Ciara. And thank you for all you're doing to revitalize our Office of Civil Military Co Cooperation. It's, uh, it's night and day, even in the short time that you've been there. So keep doing what you're doing. Pat, over to you, sir, for the final word. And you know, I think uh, what Sarah just uh, talked about is uh, hard to hard to top. Uh, civil affairs is a great capability. They have a lot to offer. Uh, small but pack a powerful punch. And the best we you know, important for us to make sure that their capabilities and expertise and voice is being uh, incorporated, heard. And we have a really good baseline platform that brings together the 3D community across uh, the government to do that. So. Uh, look forward. There's a lot of momentum building. You know, it'll be interesting to see what countries are selected for the uh, global fragility strategy enactment, and there, there will be opportunity there and uh, elsewhere as the as the world uh, goes about and things evolve and change day to day. So thanks, uh, Ryan. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Thank you all to to our panelists and uh, especially to uh, our audience as well for for being so attentive. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. 
t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the Global War on Terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. <laughs>